If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. We are in week three, which means we are in chapter three. It's a 16-week journey through the Gospel of Mark. We, our goal is to rediscover Jesus' heart in teaching. We want to be people who reflect the heart of Jesus because for us, Jesus is our standard. If, you, if Jesus is not your standard, then you're not a Christian. Hello, somebody. Um, we're not here just to do church. We're here to follow Jesus. Can you say amen? And so we are in chapter 3, and I'm going to jump right in the middle of this chapter on verse 20. And I'm going to do something different today. I, am, I don't have follow notes on purpose. I, I don't have the TV on purpose because I feel like we need to do some legwork in apprehending God's message. I think some of us need to lean in a little bit more and say, God, I want to learn something, but I need to take ownership of it. Right? A lot of times I think everything, when everything is done for you, you don't, you don't do the work. So today I'm not going to have slides over here. The only thing I'm going to share is the main uh, verses, and then it's up to you to apprehend the Word of God. I believe in taking notes because I believe that the things that God wants to speak to us is not just to stay here. We're supposed to take it with us throughout the week and ask the Holy Spirit how does He want us to apply it in our lives. Can you say amen? And so this is going to be our focus. And maybe I'm just going to do this for a while. I just want to go old school. I don't know for how many weeks. But next week I might change my mind and have a TV over here. So don't, don't quote me on that. But we're going to jump right in the thick of this passage in chapter 3. It says this, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. This has been the pattern, right? Wherever Jesus is, there's a crowd. People want to be around Jesus. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And we, low, we talked about this on Wednesday night, that Jesus loves to eat. If, you, if you're missing Wednesday nights, you're just missing out, period. Okay? I hope that convicts you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 21. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. His family tries to take him away, and they said, he's out of his mind. Amen. Verse 22. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, they have arrived from Jerusalem. You need to to track this. Jesus is in Capernaum, which is a really tiny fishing village by the Sea of Galilee. Maybe around 1,500 people. They they got word in Jerusalem, which is the capital, that, that this man is healing, he's rebuking demons, people are following him. And so the religious establishment is like, we need to go investigate what is happening over there. What is this guy doing? Because he's not one of us. And they said this, this is, their, this is their conclusion. He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. So that's your religious assessment from the religious people. Verse 23, Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. Jesus is always illustrating things, trying to paint the picture. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? It's a good question, Jesus. He asked, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? Another good question, Jesus. 
he would never survive. Verse 27, let me illustrate it f- this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Verse 28, I tell you the truth. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. And that's the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? So we're just in chapter 3 of a 16-week journey through the teachings and the ministry of Jesus. And we can already sense there's a lot of tension in the air. That Jesus, he's attracting a crowd of people who are looking for physical healing. They're looking for spiritual healing. They're looking for a place to belong. And Jesus is attracting all kinds of people. He's healing all kinds of people. He's performing exorcisms. He's, he's liberating people. And as he's doing all of this, he's attracting a lot of heat. He's attracting not just followers, but he's attracting haters as well. Hello, somebody. Thank you, lady. I'm so glad you're back. I feel so much better now. I'm going to preach even better. You you came early. I like it. And I need it because this could be a tough one. So stop praying right now. You got me. He's preaching God's kingdom and, 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 and he's attracting a lot of heat. The enemy is not happy. I think it's impossible in life to do anything worth doing without attracting some heat. I think it's impossible in life to do something worth doing without some type of resistance, without some type of opposition, without some type of naysayers, without some type of pushback. Matter of fact, I would say this to you, and I think we're all old enough here to know that life happens in opposition. That the things worth doing in life will have some type of opposition attached to it. Can you say amen? amen. Now the struggle is, is, that, is that you don't know where that's going to come from. And you don't know when it's going to come. And it doesn't say, hey, I'm opposition, I'm here to stop you. That's what you have to discern through life. Because here, we see that the first order of opposition is coming from Jesus' own earthly family. His own family says he's out of his mind. This dude has lost it. The Bible tells us that Jesus had siblings. We know the names of four brothers. We don't know how many sisters because he just says sisters. He doesn't say how many. Right? Jesus was the oldest in the family and then Mary and Joseph had other children. And Bible scholars believe that outside of the Bible that there is some accounts that says that he had three sisters. So we, we can presume that Jesus had four brothers and three sisters. And they're here worried because they're like, this dude is out of his mind. And what's interesting is if you keep reading the rest of this chapter, verses 31 through 35, they say, hey, we need to get to him, but there's a big crowd. We can't get to him. So they send messages to him and say, hey, we need to talk to you. 
And they're like, Jesus, your family's outside. They want to talk to you. And Jesus said, well, my family are the ones who do the will of my father. So Jesus takes it even a step further. He doesn't back down from their threats. He says, no, actually, there's a difference between my earthly family and my spiritual family, which I want to get into Wednesday night if you come to receive the word of the Lord. No amens there, so that means I'm going to be preaching to myself in this room. He says, anyone who does God's will is my family. So you got to ask the question, though, like, what does his family see that, that they feel like he's lost his mind? Like, what is, what's driving them to oppose Jesus at this point? And there's some, some natural, practical things that you can look at and say, this is some of the things that probably is getting them feeling frustrated with Jesus. Number one is that, remember, Jesus was the oldest one in the family, and he's supposed to take over the family business, and they were a family of carpenters, tecton, which means stonemasonry, and so that's what they did for a living, and usually the oldest will take over the family business and continue the legacy and, and make the money for the rest. Maybe they're, maybe they're frustrated that Jesus left the family business, and he's gone on to preaching, and he's losing his mind. Second thing is, he's attracting heat from some of the most powerful religious leaders of Jesus' time. And these people were well respected in their community. And so, think about it as a family member, you're thinking, man, you are embarrassing us. The religious leaders think you're crazy, and they're not co-signing your ministry. That means something is wrong. Because you're supposed to get the blessing from your religious people. That you're doing something for God. Are you tracking with me so far? Third thing is, he's out here healing people, casting out demons. You grew up with the guy. How do you think that feels? For 30 years, you've been with this guy. It is in your house and you eat together. And all of a sudden, this guy's out here doing miracles and casting out demons. If you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about. Like, who are you? Where'd you come from? When did this happen? If you don't have siblings, you don't know what I'm talking about. You're a spoiled child. <laughs> but anyone who has at least one sibling knows the sibling rivalry is real. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, what's this guy doing? Here's another one that I think drove him crazy is Jesus starts this ministry and he begins to randomly pick this really weird group of people to follow him. Our siblings, they're probably thinking, he can't be thinking, right? Look at the people he attracts. I, every sibling has been worried about the people you hang with. Right? Jesus is hanging out with these Losers, these ragamuffin group of people, tax collectors, prostitutes, fishermen. His family's like, he's got to be tapped. <laughs> Something is wrong. Look at the company he keeps. This can't be right. But the reality is we can, we can keep dissecting all of the reasons why we might think that they thought that Jesus was out of his mind. But the conclusion will always come back to the same exact thing. Is that the reality is this is what happens when you follow Jesus. There's no way around it. You are going to attract wrong feedback. You are going to attract 
wrong understanding of why you're doing this. People are going to think you've lost your mind. Some of y'all already heard that from some people in your life. Part of rediscovering Jesus and what we're trying to do is ask the question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What does Jesus do when he's opposed by his own family members? If you keep reading the gospel, and if you read any of the gospels, there's this pattern with Jesus that he stays the course and he trusts God with the results. We know that in John, they said, man, you should like go somewhere else because you're embarrassing us. And what does he do? He literally leaves and goes somewhere else. And I pray we understand if we're going to be like Jesus and we're going to ask what would Jesus do, that we need to pay attention to what Jesus actually did. That he stayed the course and trusted God with the results. Because sometimes you got to live your life and let the chips fall where they may. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus kept doing what he believed God called him to do. The beauty of this is if you follow the journey of his family, they came around after Jesus' resurrection. We doesn't say how many of them, but it, well, at least we know that there's two of the brothers who did come around and said, wait, he actually is the son of God. He's equal with God. We're going to submit our lives to him and we're going to follow him and we're going to trust him. And they became actually leaders in the first church. We have two names that we can give you that proves that this family came around. James wrote the book of James. He became one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And Jude wrote the, what, one of the shortest book in the Bible, one chapter. He's also the brother of Jesus. My friends, I think when it comes to family members, the most important thing we can do if we want to follow Jesus is to continue to follow and let the chiefs follow where they may and trust God with the results and trust God with their own journey. I think when it comes to family members, living by example is the best way to win over your family members. Think about this. People that live with you could care less what you say. They care about what you're doing. Right? The most challenging people to ever reach are the people that live with you because they're like, I live with you. What are you going to tell me that I don't see? And so living by example, my friends, is what Jesus did. He didn't argue with them. He didn't try to to persuade them. I think Jesus knew, hey, I'm going to keep doing the will of God. And in the journey of life, we'll have to take you guys through the whole process to see if I am who I really say I am. And I'm going to continue to honor God and serve God and bless God and trust that he will show you the rest. Keep living by example. There's a great quote that says, Your life is speaking so loud, I can't hear a word that you're saying. You know why that's powerful, my friends? It's powerful because it's hard to argue with fruits. We can argue theology all day long. We can argue our differences all day long. But fruits are tangible. It's hard to argue with the reality that your life is different. Your approach is different. There's fruits to back up the evidence of what you believe. Problem is, if there's no fruits, then you have no leg to stand on. 
Because Jesus said, by your fruits, they will know if you are my disciples. He didn't say, by your opinions. He didn't say, by your Bible verses. He says, by your fruits, people will know. But above all, God will know if you're my follower. Are you tracking with me? So that's family. But then there's this official delegation that came from Jerusalem. If I, if I can try to put that in today's terms, it's like the Vatican sending a group of delegates to a little church in Galilee of about 1,500 people to say, what is happening here? What is actually happening here? Because you don't fit our religious requirements. So how can you be doing these things? They declare Jesus' ministry to be false and they accuse them of being possessed by Satan himself. This, my friends, will be the pattern of Jesus' ministry. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see this throughout. It's not that one time or two times they call Jesus demon-possessed throughout his ministry. This was not a one-time thing. This was a continuous accusation that came against Jesus. And Jesus' response always blows my mind because Jesus never seems to respond the way that I would respond. That's why I can't ask, what would Mark would do? Because I know what I would do. I would say, try Jesus, but don't try me. But that's why I think there's a difference between me and Jesus. And if I want to be a follower of Jesus, I need to be asking what would Jesus do, not what would Marco do, because Marco will react out of his flesh, out of his own will, out of his own purpose, but Jesus has a purpose and a plan that is bigger than Marco's flesh. My friends, I think that question is what separates followers of Jesus from religious people. If we want to follow Jesus, we need to ask the question, how does Jesus respond to opposition? His answer is surprising. Because Jesus loves to ask questions. He says, how in the world can Satan cast out Satan? That sounds counterproductive. Think about it. It's like, it's like, you playing on a basketball team, but scoring on the wrong basket. You ever seen like footage of little kids playing basketball, they're learning, and they like dribble on the wrong side, and the coach is like, like, like this way. It's like equivalent to someone playing football and scoring a touchdown for the opposite team. It makes no sense. It's counterproductive. And that's what I love about Jesus, because he could have made this a really big thing and made it a really massive spiritual application. But he's like, guys, this makes no sense. Because sometimes it's as simple as this makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes you just got to read through the opposition and say, wait a minute, what? That doesn't even make any sense. And can we be honest? This is the oldest trick in the book. We learned this in kindergarten. When you can't beat somebody, you name call them. 
Remember when we used to sprint and you couldn't beat that kid? That kid was always faster than you. What do you start doing? You start to find ways to try to hurt them psychologically. <laughs> Say things like, you cockeyed. <laughs> you bow-legged. <laughs> and then if you really can't beat them and you're really frustrated, you go there and you go, your mama. Because <laughs> your mama means we're about to, remember the line on the sand? If you cross this over, it's on. So this is the oldest trick in the book. If you can't join them, name call them. That's why Jesus was like, that's the best you got. Satan, cast it off, Satan. But my friends, deeper than that, it's this danger of religion without the heart of God. My friends, this is alarming, but you could be religious and fight against God himself. It's alarming that a person could be religious and know a lot of Bible verses and never miss church, but miss what God is doing right in front of them. That's what's alarming about the story. They could not, think about this, think about this from a natural standpoint. They could not celebrate all the miracles that was around them, all the healings, all the people getting set free. They could not celebrate another person getting delivered and set free. Why? Because the way it was being done didn't fit the religious boxes. Wow. So they accuse Jesus of being in line with Satan because their religious pride would not allow them to celebrate people's freedom. Man, that's crazy. I'm here to tell you that some of the greatest oppositions to the gospel of Jesus will come from religious people who don't have the heart of God. Some religious people We'll do everything they can to discourage you from following Jesus by putting labels on things. Because when everything fails, you throw a label out. So that everybody can be discouraged from what's happening in front of them. And we heard labels like this. If we can fast forward into the 21st century, we hear things like, well, that's really weird. That sounds like a cult. Those people are brainwashed. They're out of their minds. Those people are crazy. Have you heard any of this, by the way? But what's crazy is that when you read the gospel and you read Jesus, you find out that, that these labels are actually signs that you're actually following Jesus and not just being religious. Because let's be honest, being religious is comfortable. It doesn't take much to give myself a religious label, go to a religious building, and try to be a good person. But the moment someone steps out of that box, they must be crazy. They can't be that they're doing what I'm doing because following Jesus is completely the opposite, it's unpredictable. It's exciting. It's challenging. And you never know where the opposition is going to come from. 
One of the ways I tell people, if you, the difference between being religious and following Jesus is, do you know exactly how your week's going to go? <laughs> Some of y'all didn't get that. You got your life so down to a routine that nothing out of the ordinary happens because the enemy doesn't have to do anything. You're already doing it. tell us today that a little persecution is good for the soul. Why? Because you don't know what you believe until it's opposed. You don't know what you're made of until someone challenges it. And you won't grow unless you put some tension on your spiritual muscles. Why do we go to the gym? We go to the gym to put tension on our physical muscles. You don't go to make muscles, you go to develop what's already in you. Persecution is like muscles for your spirituality. It's like putting some weight on to see, okay, let's see how much can you bench press. How much can you take? And how real is it? Because that's the other thing that persecution does. It reveals if this thing is really real. Because let's be real. If another human being who is on the journey of life like you can talk you out of following Jesus, then your conviction of Jesus was never that deep in the first place. So today, I, I want to encourage you and maybe discourage some of you. Depends on what side of this thing you're on. That the reality is that following Jesus comes with opposition. And if you're trying to avoid opposition, do yourself a huge favor. Do not follow Jesus. Did passages say not to follow Jesus? Yes. Do not. Because Jesus himself says, you may not want to follow me. Like, you think Jesus would fail every evangelistic class we have today. Because he tells people, like, are you sure? Like, are you, like, you sure, though? Like, you sure? I don't have a place to lay. I don't know where we're going. Listen, you're going to have to pick up your cross. Follow me. Are you, are you sure? Because we're not into the religious thing. We're not here for a routine. We're here for an adventure and a journey. So let me encourage you and let me discourage some of you. Over the past seven years, we've had our shares of accusations as a church and as a pastor. I've heard many times that we are a cult. And I'm still waiting seven years later for someone, first of all, to define a cult and then to show me biblically that we are a cult. Still waiting. The verdict is still out. I've asked people, please define a cult and give me three biblical reasons that we are a cult, and then it goes silence. Because it's easier to put labels on than I've actually proved your labels. I've heard that we water down the gospel, and I'm still looking for the water. I've heard, this is my favorite one because I'm still, I still, I'm still doing one. This one, I'm still wrestling, figure out what it actually means. I've heard that we are Illuminati. I don't know what that means. If you know what that means, please shed light on me. I didn't know I was friends with Jay-Z. I don't know. I've heard that we are homophobic because we believe that a marriage is between a man and a woman according to the Bible, and we follow the Bible, this God's principles. I've heard that we are a prosperity gospel because... People believe that God can bless their lives and they can live a better life. <laughs> I've heard that we steal people from other church. 
I wish I was making this up. A pastor, a local pastor, wrote a letter to his congregation saying, beware of that church, they take people away from the church. And a woman who went to that church told me, I was so intrigued by that letter that I came to the church to find out what the first is all about. She's like, I never left. <laughs> She's still here with us. I've heard that I'm a false teacher. Still waiting for the verdict on that. And then I heard that we don't preach the real gospel. So welcome to following Jesus Christ. I want to read Jesus' words because I don't want to make this up. Matthew 5, if you take your notes, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, this is Sermon of the Mount. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus himself said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. What, say what, Jesus? He said, be happy about it. And then he doubled down. He says, be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So this comes with the calling. There's no way around it. Okay? But it comes majority of time from people who are religious. Now, let me mess you up. Sometimes it comes from people that actually are in the church. Because the devil comes to church too. And some of y'all may be here. God bless you. So, of course, when I say all that, you got to ask the question, right? But how do you discern false teachings? How do you know, like, what's false teaching and, and what's a cult and all that? If you want the answers to all that, you have to come on Wednesday night and go do a teaching on that. Now, let me see how many of y'all really want to know what it means to follow Jesus. Some of y'all are like, if it's a cult, cool, I'm good. I don't have to go on Wednesday. <laughs> Uh, but let me give you a clue real quick out of Jesus' words we read. He gave you a clue. He said, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fight against himself, how can he stand? Here's a major clue. When every time someone preaches division... Be aware that maybe the Spirit of God is not in it. It could be that they have 10 Bible verses to prove their point, but they can still be wrong because they don't have the heart of God attached to what they're trying to prove. But I'll get into that on Wednesday night. But the sad reality, my friends, is that this wasn't even the point of Jesus, his message here. And that's the sad reality because the enemy is so clever at making everything else a distraction to the actual truth. Because Jesus is like, you missed the point. If you read verse 27, he says, man, you missed you miss the point of what's happening right in front of you. He said, look, let me illustrate this further. Verse 27, who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Jesus was like, man, y'all missed the point. Someone stronger than Satan is here, and he's here to tie him up so people can be free and delivered. And you missed it. 
You missed it because you were more concerned with being right than to see what God is doing. It's one of the saddest things about religion. People are so bent on being right, they can miss God and stay in their pride. He says, you missed it. He says, someone stronger is here. Someone that can actually tie him up so people can go free. That's the illustration he gives. He says, man, I have the power and the strength to bind Satan, to put him under my feet so people can walk freedom in, in truth and righteousness. You missed it. He says, I came to destroy the works of the enemy from people. People are oppressed. People are in bondage. People need to be delivered and set free. And someone who has the power and the authority is here to do it. And you're going to tell me that the same enemy who is binding them is going to set them free? It makes no sense. That's some of the stuff I think about when I think about all this accusation. It's like, wow, you're telling me you can come to this church and see everything that God is doing in people's lives? Every, people, every person I said has been delivered, set free, being changed, transformed, lives healed, and you're saying, <laughs> talk about missing the point. Talk about being blind, but with physical eyes, but not spiritual eyes to see what God is doing. He says, man, I came to deliver people from demonic oppression. You see the illustration? He says, it says, I can go into this guy's house and literally put him into submission. I love that because he's saying, it's like a UFC fight. If Jesus and Satan got into a UFC fight, Jesus is like, Satan will tap out. I'll put him on a truck hole. He can't go anywhere. That's the image he's giving you here because the plunder, the goods, that's what you used to do back in the days when you raid another enemy, you take all the goods. And what he was saying is, hey, everything that the enemy has stolen from these people, I'm going to give it back. Their freedom, their joy, their, their, their sobriety, their focus, their family, their blessings. I came to give it back to them. What the enemy has meant for evil, I came to take it back and say, be free, be delivered, be breakthrough. I came to set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed and if you can't celebrate that man check your heart check your heart every time we do baptism man, I'm just I'm weeping hey Jesus you're still doing it you're still doing it you're still doing it you're still doing it God, Jesus, you're still plundering the goods and giving it back to people's lives and saying, you, be free, you, be healed, you, be restored, you, blessed, you, you, and you. How can you not celebrate that? How? How? Well, because he said a strong warning here. He says, because you refuse to believe that the Holy Spirit can do this. It's a strong warning. It says you cannot accept what the Holy Spirit brings. So you have to label it. You can't accept miracles. You can't accept that people can be delivered. But here's the thing. Here's why this is the strongest thing that Jesus says. Because everything God does is through his spirit. If you can't accept that the spirit is at work, then you can't accept that God is working. So basically, it's, it's not that Jesus is saying, hey, you can't be forgiving. It's that you yourself have shut the door to forgiveness. Because 
Forgiveness comes through the Holy Spirit. Healing comes through the Holy Spirit. Salvation comes through the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus does is through his Spirit. He's saying if you can't accept that, then guess what? You have shut the door to your own breakthrough and you have the keys. You've locked yourself in. It's crazy. The message translation puts it this way. It's, just, it's a little eye-opening how the message puts it. Look, Jesus said, listen to this carefully. I'm warning you. It's a warning. There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. In other words, like God's willing to forgive. But if you persist in your slanders against God's Holy Spirit, you are repudiating the very one who forgives. Sowing off the branch on which you're sitting. Severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. He gave this warning because they were accusing him of being in a league with evil. Wow. He didn't condemn him. He's saying, I'm warning you. You keep going that way. You're doomed. It's a warning to repent. To turn away. To embrace the spirit of God. My friends, Jesus said that we're going to be accountable for every single word that we speak. That scares the out of me. I'm a preacher. I talk for a living. He says you're going to be accountable for every single word. Here's how I look at that. I'm not accountable to the people who made the accusations. I'm accountable to God. So here's my take. You go ahead and make the accusations. I'm just thinking about how he's going to judge me. Because when I get to him, he's not going to ask me, what did Johnny say about you? He's going to say, what did you do with the life I gave you and the accountability that I gave you and the responsibility that I gave you? How did you... So I was telling someone the other day, someone says, how come you never talk about false teachers? I said, you know why? Because I, I, I'm afraid of God more than I'm a man. I said, I'd rather be careful and tread lightly when it comes to labeling people because God is going to keep me accountable for that, not those people. And so if those people want to go ahead and label me, that's on them. They're going to have to respond for that. I need to respond for what God made me responsible for. And so I'm going to be very careful to label people. be honest with you, I'm not afraid of people. I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of God. I'm telling you, I'm afraid to get before God and not be judged for my righteousness. I mean, that scares me. Because Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. He says, those who do my Father's will will enter my kingdom. But what's crazy is that how he follows up that conversation. He says, some people are going to say, hey, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal in your name? He says, yeah, but I never knew you. Apart from me, you evildoers. It's the scariest Bible verse I've ever read. I don't say that to scare us. I say that to scare us. Because <laughs> nowadays, everybody has opinions. But Jesus says it's by your fruits, not your opinions, that people will know if you're my follower. But I want to remind us that Jesus died for these very people. So we have to be careful not to think, okay, now I'm on, I know what side I'm on. No, you're, nah, Jesus is not on your side. <laughs> Understand that. That's the other danger. 
to think, hey, look, I'm not religious like them. And Jesus is like, yeah, now you're into self-righteousness. Now you think you got it. So this thing is dangerous because it's a double-edged sword, pride. To think, oh, those people. No, it's like, no, that could be you too. At any moment that you start to label people, that's on you now. You're accountable for that. So listen, each person must decide who is Jesus to them. Each one, every human being has to decide, is he a liar? Is he out of his mind? Is he a lunatic? Or is he really the son of God? C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called Mere Christianity. I highly recommend it. When he makes this, this verdict, he says, at the end of the day, you've got to decide, is Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or the son of God? But he doesn't give you room for neutrality. He says, you're either with me or against me. But it's a warning. He says, I'm warning you to receive my spirit. Repentance, metanoia, to change your mind and to receive and to turn away. That's the way to the kingdom of God. Because if you're not being led by Jesus, then you're under the oppression of the enemy. There's no neutral ground. Jesus wants to give back what the enemy stole from you, but in order for him to give back what the enemy stole from you, you have to submit your life to him and his authority and his spirit. Only Jesus can defeat strongholds in your life. And here's the thing. You're either going to be religious or you're going to follow Jesus. Because the line at some point is drawn. And you're either going to stay back or you're going to, pass, or you're going to step forward and say, I'm willing to be misunderstood. I'm willing to be judged by man but not judged by God. I'm willing to be one of his followers. Because that's what it comes down to. Everyone has to make up their mind about this Jesus. And, and including those who say, yeah, I'm into church, but I'm, I don't want to be too into it. Yeah, well. Your call. Here's the thing that, that I'm finding as I end here. Worship team, you can come. Here's what I'm finding, guys. And I say this with a heavy heart. I'm finding that people are confusing Christianity with meanity. Christianity is following Christ. Meanity is, I want God to bless me, but I'm going to live my own way. And if I don't like something, I'm going to be offended, and I'm not going to say what God wants me to say, because if I say it, some people are going to be mad at me, some people are going to be disappointed with me, and we're more concerned with people's opinions than we're concerned with God's opinion. At some point, there's a line in that saying that says, yeah, but are you a follower of Jesus? Are you willing to be misunderstood? Are you willing to let society isolate you? Because it's more important to follow Jesus and to follow man and to follow yourself. Because I don't know if you follow Jesus long enough where he rubs against your own self. He rubs against your own selfishness, your own pride, your own ego, your own plans, your own ways. And this is where I'm seeing people get disappointed with God. They get disappointed with God because God's not budging his plans. They want God to bless them the way they are. We used to have a saying, come as you are. But it's not to say as you are. It's to be transformed in the image and likeness of who Jesus is. That's Christianity 
It's not to stay as I am. It's to be transformed. And that, and that transformation journey is very uncomfortable. But it's powerful when you come into the being of who Jesus trusted you to be. What he wants you to be. So I'm very concerned with Christianity right now. I think we're, we're creating a less than version of what Jesus had in mind. That's why I felt convicted to go back to the Gospel of Mark and say, we need to rediscover the heart of Jesus. Because I think we've caked up a lot of things on Jesus that Jesus didn't go sign. And we're going to have to be accountable for that stuff. My job is to preach the gospel. I can't make anyone believe. I can't make anyone submit. That's legalism. Where people are like forcing you to change. I don't believe that. That's why they, they call it watered down gospel. Meaning like, I don't, I don't try to condemn people or judge people. No, I tell you the truth. The truth will set you free. But each one of us have to figure out what we want to do with the truth. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. So let's stand together as we pray this morning. I brought you this far, but I can't make you do anything. That's a decision you, each one of us have to make. Lately, what we've been doing is we've been trying to create space at the end of service to say, make room. Because I don't believe we need more church services. That's just religion. What we need is experiences with the Holy Spirit to actually transform us. To take the word and say, Lord, I just heard that word, but how do I, how do I apprehend that word in me? How do I, that word take root in me? Next week, Mark 4, Jesus talks about this. He says, hey, your, your heart is like a, a soil. He says, what kind of soil are you? Because some people will receive the word and leave right away, and, and the enemy just snatches it away from them. But it's like, you want to be good soil. We'll talk about that next week. Like, how do you become a good soil? You have to make room. Because soil needs work. For those of you guys who garden, you know what I'm talking about. Nothing grows if there's weeds around. Nothing grows if there's no cultivating. If there's no watering. If there's no sun, right? Not just the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. Getting in and bringing healing and transformation. So I'm concerned as a pastor that we, we're on the surface of this. We need to go deeper. So when we do the song, it's not dismissal. It's an invitation to go deeper. It's an invitation to come to the altar and, and surrender some things to the Lord. Even things that rubs against your flesh. Things you want to hold on to. And Jesus say, you won't see my fullness of my will until you surrender that. You don't get to run your life if you're following me. That's Christianity. You submit it. And you trust the Lord with the results. So we're going to do the song. Again, I pray that you do that. If you're not comfortable coming to prayer here, you can, you can sit in your seat and, and pray in your seat. But I pray that you're not in a rush to leave the house and not let the, the word take root. Amen? So worship team, let's worship some more. And pray team, whenever you feel ready, you can come. And we're going to spend some time seeking Jesus.
and challenge you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.